Hello and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but also ask, couldn't they be better? I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is the synthetic blue blood bandit, the CGI smoke and mirrors maniac, and of course, Venom. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's me, Matt. Uh, wow, Tony, you just get better at better at writing the openings of these episodes. Yeah, I just uh, I think I feel inspired by our fixes or potential fixes for these movies. Just, I do feel like maybe in me. the worse the movie, the better your intro. Do you, do you find that to be accurate? Yeah, I think I have to try harder to bring it there. Uh, that or I've completely forgotten it and I'm doing it on the spot. And maybe that's where um, <laughs> where my creative juices lie. Maybe that's where the gold is. I, I think I think when the movies are really, really dull, your mind wanders. And that's when your creativity really uh, takes off. <laughs> right. Well, who can say it's a mystery? All right, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, weather's gorgeous here in St. Louis. It's fall. I don't know when we're going to end up airing or releasing this episode. Maybe January for all I know, but it's a gorgeous October day here. How about uh, how about you? How's it going out there? I'm pretty good, too. Since we're dating ourselves, it is raining and cold, but those are two of my favorite uh, favorite weathers. You know, big mood on me. You know, I like the, the dark and the broody. I'm Venom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, All right, we've so, referenced so, it enough so, times. So, I think we should tell our, our listeners. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, I got one for you. Doing? I got one for you. Go for no, it. No, no, no. I've got this for you. What time is it, Matt? I don't know, Tone. What time is it? It's Morbin time. There it is. Oh, wow. Yeah, we'll uh, definitely get into that here in a little bit. Um, as viewers are li- viewers, nobody's watching this. As listeners might have guessed, probably from the title of this episode, uh, the movie that we're working to fix today is 2022's. Gosh, I can't believe we're saying that. That's a crazy year. Uh, Morbius. Uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's funny. Uh, you want to hit him with a synopsis tone? Uh, yeah, we've got one right here. Uh, let's just say the synopsis from Morbius 2022. Biochemist Michael Morbius tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but he inadvertently infects himself with a form of vampirism instead. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's the synopsis. <laughs> yeah, one I'm not going to. That's the movie. I'm not going to pretend we, we pulled that directly off of IMDb. I thought about writing a longer, more intricate uh, synopsis. But truthfully, that's all you really need to know. Uh, he's a doctor, which they point out multiple times in the very beginning, uh, who tries to cure himself and accidentally gives himself vampire powers. Uh, his bestie from childhood gets real jealous because he has the same disease and wants the cure, even though he knows it would make him a blood-sucking vampire. How fun is that? I mean, it has potential. I mean, Morbius is a uh, character that originated in the Spider-Man comics. He was sort of interesting. He kind of starts, you know, as a villain, and then later, like, it was sort of like a villain of circumstance, not so much that he was a villainous, like-minded person. It was just, like, the cravings of the vampirism. Yeah, he seems like scientifically in the comics, he was like a a bit of an anti-hero and not necessarily a villain or a hero, Um, which I think this movie is attempting to do again. And we'll get into that. But yeah, yeah, and I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more from you about the what you know about the comics, because I I don't know much about it. Um, Before we jump into all of that, I'm just going to give a little background on the movie. Um, It did, like I said, came out in 2022. The movie saw a lot of delays. Um, because it was made by Sony Pictures and not by 
you know, uh, Marvel proper. It got kind of shuffled around whether it was or wasn't part of the canon for the MCU. We can talk more about, about that later. Also, when it was going to re- be released was apparently um, a factor in what sort of scenes got deleted and what scenes got added in real crunchy like after the fact. Again, something we'll get into later. Uh, the movie is directed by Daniel Espinoza. Uh, the thing I knew the, of his work the most was the 2017 movie Life uh, about the astronauts in the space station and they find like some sort of like weird substance that ends up, spoiler, uh, landing on Earth at the end. Everyone, when that movie came out, was like, is this a prequel to Venom? Because the substance was very much like the Venom symbiote. Uh, and I just hmm. find that really ironic that he did this movie that everyone sort of thought was supposed to be a Venom prequel, but turned out to not actually be a Venom prequel. And then he ended up making this movie, which is clearly in the same universe as uh, Venom, Blood and Carnage, or whatever that movie was called, the second one, and the first one, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, it was written by Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless. I think I'm, I think I maybe got that second name wrong. Uh, this is a writing duo that's best known for the Gods of Egypt movie, Dracula Untold, the Power Rangers requel, uh, and also recently the Lost in Space reboot on Netflix, which I actually really liked. And I didn't actually hate the Power Rangers movie, to be honest, but I never saw those others. Did you? Um, let's see. Gods of Egypt... It sounds familiar. Don't think I saw it. Dracula Untold. There are so many Dracula's movies. It's it's hard to keep track after Bram Stoker's. I know I saw the Power Rangers movie and I've completely forgotten all about it. And I watched the first two seasons of the Lost in Space Netflix thing. I I liked it, but I, I felt like I was done with it. Like it wasn't doing enough for me to want to keep watching when the next season dropped. Uh, again, part of that, there's just streaming fatigue that you feel uh, yeah. that, that we're going to eventually talk about more in depth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think there were only three seasons of that Lost in Space remake. And the, the final season was really good. So if you, if you find a moment where you're like, gosh, I really just want a little bit more Lost in Space, I can say it was, I think, worth the time. Uh, the thing I remember well, most about I, the Power Rangers movie space, was I'll watch it. <laughs> uh, the thing I remember most with the Power Rangers movie was Elizabeth Banks was surprisingly good as Rita Repulsa. I would never have thought that ever before I'd seen the movie. But it, when it came down to it, she showed up. She did the work. She like sold the performance. And I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that track. She was interesting in The Hunger Games as well. And those movies maybe left something to be desired. Yeah, I like Elizabeth Banks. I, I'm, I'm rewatching uh, Modern Family in the background. Like, it's my background show right now. And I forget that she plays Mitch and Cam's, like, crazy friend that comes into town and is just, like, constantly drunk and ridiculous. And she's so funny in this role. And I fully forgot she was in it. She's basically your me. A little bit. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's um, in this movie? So uh, this movie stars Jared Leto, who most people probably know from as the Joker from Suicide Squad. Uh, he was also in Requiem for a Dream back in the day, and I believe he either won or was nominated for an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. Um, Jared Leto kind of has a reputation for hardcore... Uh, uh, method acting. Uh, in fact, in this movie, he plays a character that is disabled. Uh, and he, I, in the trivia, it says that he insisted on even between takes, uh, continuing to, 
I guess, hobble around in character to the point where it frustrated the cast and crew and they started moving him around in a wheelchair. And I, I'll be honest, Tone, every time I read more about Jared Leto, I just don't understand why this guy keeps getting work. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, is we always have to take this with a grain of salt. We don't yeah. know yet, you know, what the actual circumstances were not there. But that also doesn't mean we can just ignore it. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting Hollywood and, and who gets work and who doesn't. I've heard actors talk on this before in like actor podcasts, and it's one of the few industries where you can just be a real chore, but you can still be getting all the work. I don't know. Yeah, you get that Academy Award winner or Academy Award nomination tag on your name, and people will put up with uh, absolute trash. But let's well, not spend will put a lot of time talking about Jared and his... Uh, eccentricities. We'll have plenty to say mm-hmm. about him in a bit, but I'll just go down the rest of the cast list for you. Matt Smith, uh, most probably known as the 11th Doctor from Doctor Who, uh, plays his best friend Milo, or Milo, I guess, depending on who's saying it. Uh, he's also known for The Crown, mm-hmm. House of the Dragon, which is on right now, and Last Night in Soho. Uh, Martine Ban- Bancroft plays Adria Arjona. Arjona? I don't know how to say her name, and they don't um, say it much oh no that's that's her actual name (laughs) uh she's currently in andor on disney plus and she's quite good she had a small role small but effective role i should say in good omens uh she was also in true detective six underground and the father of the bride sort of uh remake for tv i never saw it but uh it looked like i didn't even know that was a thing until we looked that up so interesting yeah i wasn't i i i kind of knew it existed because i'd seen like a poster for it but i'd it's kind of recent i think it came out this year so who knows tell i'm stalling about talking about this movie (laughs) yeah uh can you tell we're both doing that (laughs) we're gonna get to it though uh last two uh noteworthy additions to this movie's cast were jared harris playing Dr. Nicholas. Uh, he's the son of Richard Harris, who's the original Dumbledore. He also played Moriarty in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. He was in The Expanse, The Crown, Chernobyl, which was an absolutely incredible series. He was also a reoccurring character in Mad Men. Uh, I just want to state early in this episode that I am a gigantic Jared Harris fan. And I remember when I first saw the trailer for this movie, for the movie that we're doing, Morbius, um, as soon as I saw him, I was like, all right, I will see that movie if only because Jared Harris is in it. And I just really like this man's work. Well, his beard game is on point in this movie. He is. And he just like, I don't know. He's just so um, truthful as an actor, you know, even in a movie like this, where some of his material that he's working with is not amazing. I, he's still captivating to watch and listen to. So um, mm-hmm. there's that. Uh, last but possibly least, maybe not least, who knows? Tyrese Gibson is in this movie. He plays Agent Stroud. Uh, he's best known for Baby Boy, the Fast and Furious movies, Transformers movies. Uh, yep, he was I, in I'll it. say this. He has a avid fan base and is in a lot of franchises that are very enjoyable to some people. We may not be fans of him, but I don't want to be mean to Mr. Gibson and single him out that that's not the style of this podcast. Yeah, no, you make a good point. I don't actually, well, we'll get into it. I don't think he's necessarily bad in this movie. It's really him and his partner, but we'll get into that. Uh, Last couple little tidbits about this fun little movie. It's got a 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb right now. Uh, 15% on the Rotten Tomato meter, which is very low. Uh, But uh, a 71% in audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning uh, that 
audience members more liked the movie than critics. Uh, it had an estimated budget of $75 million, and it has grossed approximately $167 million world- worldwide. So this movie is certainly not a flop, um, but it did underperform. And we'll, uh, we'll yeah. get into some more the- little fun trivia about that here in a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say the standards of worldwide gross versus like opening weekend, which is what a lot of studios are now looking at as like a a factor of success or not. I don't think it did well initially, but you just said we're going to talk about that more. So maybe we should move on. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, take a little short break and we'll come back and we'll talk about what worked and what didn't and kind of what happened in this movie. Sounds good. All right, so Matt, I think it's time we we talk about what we liked about this film before we start picking it apart and then putting it back together. What are some things you want to keep or at least enjoyed in Morbius? Yeah, so I don't know. With, with a lot of these episodes, Tone, and a lot of the movies that we do, I still think there's more good than bad. There's more that we liked than didn't. There's just bits and pieces that we want to tweak or rearrange or sometimes recast, uh, rewrite. But in general, there's there's usually a lot that we like to keep, right? I will be honest, in this one, there there wasn't nearly as much as I think we're both used to. At least I'll say that for myself. Uh, As I said at the top of the episode, Jared Harris is in this. I think he's an incredible actor uh, in any project that he's in. And I do think that he stepped into this project where, I mean, the script isn't great if we're being honest, but you know, he, he's such a truthful actor. He's, he, he really gave a great performance in this movie. So I would say if we're keeping things, uh, keeping Jared is is well, this Jared, <laughs> I should say. <laughs> keeping Jared <laughs> Harris uh, is at the top of my list. Um, while I didn't love a lot of Jared, the other Jared, Jared Leto's performance, I, I did point out, I did make a note to myself to mention that his chemistry with uh martine played by uh adria when the couple scenes they have together where they're kind of developing some romantic chemistry i i actually bought and thought it was believable um so if we're keeping jared i'm i would say for sure keep martine bancroft or uh, sorry adria because she was really good as 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 in in the role that she had i should say um that's about it. That's what I got. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a lot for this one. I, I've watched this movie twice now. And uh, as you pointed out, we don't like to talk bad on movies. But sometimes there's just movies that their their biggest sin is actually just being boring. You know, sometimes bad movies are a whole lot of fun because they're bad. This is kind of more in the territory to me of, of uninteresting, of an uninteresting movie. Uh, that needed a lot of punch up, a lot of work to be interesting. But uh, yeah. what, what do you think? What, what what worked in this movie? What did you like? All right. So I'm going to agree with you on a few things, uh, mainly that there is definitely more BS that I didn't like than I did like. Uh, I hate that our viewer, our <laughs> listeners can't see that I'm rolling my eyes. 
<laughs> I think we heard it over the mic. Uh, but just to reinforce a couple things, then I'll uh, uh, mention a few that, that I liked specifically. But Jared Harris's character, I like, like you said, his performance made it really clear. So he's the doctor that's originally kind of taking care of, you know, young Morbius and young Milo and then kind of comes up with them through their their young life because it's limited and and just kind of his caring father figure nature. Like it's really clear, especially because they're in kind of it's a hospital, but it's sort of like a foster hospital, like the kids live in there and, you know, he's the head of it. There's there's some there's sometimes an expectation that this person is secretly evil because he's a man and he works around kids and that must mean he's bad because you know a lot of movies that's what the story is he really the movie does a good job of in no way making you think he's evil because he's not and it would just be really distracting if that was like a misdirect he he plays a very like affirming and comforting comforting father figure so just more props to him yeah, uh, it, you know, it would almost in another movie be considered a flaw that he has no real arc. You know, he really just starts off as a really good guy and stays a really good guy that only has their best interests in mind the whole time. Um, right. It's, in it's, another it's movie, a, we might find that really for the boring. fall of Milo when Milo crosses that line mm-hmm. and uh, gives into his hunger and, and takes him, which again, oh, by the way, spoilers, guys, this, we're going to spoil a full lot of this movie. Uh, I certainly hope our listeners it, at this point know that if they're going to listen to us talk about a movie that they're we're going to talk about details that would be considered spoilers i mean i don't know how else One we're going to talk about laws fixing of a movie. the internet is that you have to say spoilers now i don't know why we haven't made the law that you have to be a decent human being but definitely there is an <laughs> internet law that you have to say spoilers so you know what i think it I came just... down to voting on those two pieces of legislation and everyone unanimously voted on the <laughs> the spoiler no, no, law no. over the good person law yeah I'm just keeping us out of internet jail. Um, All right. So other things. uh, No, I think you're right. Uh, Martine is actually really good. I think she carries a lot of the weight of kind of playing up the, I don't want to say Florence Nightingaling Jared Leto's character or or Morbius, but she brings a lot of the chemistry to their chemistry. And it's sort of like his drive and passion to cure this illness that he's suffering with is like inspiring her. And I can get into that. I could see why she would have a thing. What I'll say I liked at first is that their relationship was strictly emotional because of his, you know, frail body. And it kind of like stopped it from becoming like sensually romantic. And I was like, well, this could be like a really interesting space to explore. And until, of course, it stopped being but that was something um so other things i liked in this movie that you didn't mention i thought there were a couple good moments of horror in this movie uh later on i'm going to go into the uh, an explanation that i or something i feel about this movie is that it was you've sort of already explained it that it was trying to be multiple movies at once mm-hmm. so the parts some of the parts what was trying to be a horror film I was like, ooh, like this is working for me. Like I'm actually focused. I'm actually paying attention. I wasn't necessarily spooked. I was, you know, in my house. I think in the theater it might have been more intimidating. Uh, but there was some talent there. Uh, and something I didn't hate, and so I'm putting in the good column because I feel like it has potential. As it, it, This is going to be controversial. I didn't hate the, the vampire face transformation. Um, I don't think it was 
utilized well, but I didn't hate the, I mean, one, one of the things about Morbius in the comics is he is like a distorted, like Dracula, like, you know, very uh, transformative monster creature type. And if, you know, I like the horror bit. I like that they did make him more of a horror monster when he was uh, being vampiric. Uh, I will say more to what I would like to see more on how to improve that later, but I, I'm putting in the good column, like overall. Interesting. Yeah. I was kind of on the fence about it. I, I found it mostly distracting, uh, but I didn't hate the final result. I just, I, I, we'll, we'll get into it in the fix. Uh, Cause I am curious to see what your fix is and see if that maybe saves it for you. Uh, I did want to point out that the Martine character, I liked that. I liked that she was, <sighs> She definitely was like a strong character that wasn't mm-hmm. obnoxiously so, if I should, if I could say that. She Nothing she held her own in each scene. Mm-hmm. She never felt like a drag. Um, I think in a lot of these movies, they tend to cast heavy on the male leads, and then less so on their corresponding female leads. And I, I really think this actress is quite good. Uh, and is worthy of more than she got. Like she has a scene uh, early on where they're on, they're out in, you know, uh, international waters and there's like, I guess like a security guard or like a mercenary. I don't, I don't know what his role was, but he walks in while she's, she's doing science stuff. Right. Uh, And she says, you can't be in here. And he says real obnoxiously, I could be wherever I want nurse. And she says, doctor actually. And he follows up with sure. Like he doesn't believe her. And I mean, I didn't hate the scene. I just kind of hated the writing of the scene. I thought she did the, best she could with what she had right there um Mm -hmm. i guess i just wanted a little bit more for her as an actress and a character yeah she may have been in some parts that were cringy but she was definitely not she she wasn't contributing that and if anything she was doing her like you said like so many of them were doing their best in what they had yeah absolutely Uh, but we 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 can't beat around it anymore. They didn't have much. And yeah. I think we should Spe- get into speaking it. of what they had, what let's, let's really jump into what we didn't care for. Uh, well, let me, let me spearhead this. Cause one, I'm going to try and keep it broad. I've got a lot of little bitty things here, but I just, mm-hmm. I don't feel like nitpicking this movie. I'm going to try and keep it broad. And if I have to give specifics, uh, I will. Uh, first, and for reasons that you've already kind of gone into as well as others, I feel like this was like f- maybe almost four different movies kind of edited together. Uh, like the tone and the shift was just, you know, it was an anti-hero um, kind of superhero movie a lot of the time, especially when it was trying to set up like a potential, you know, sequel and, you know, just universe with other characters. And that just that just really bogs down a, a movie's like just initial. We've seen that even in the Marvel franchises. The worst ones are the ones that are just trying to shoehorn in everything that will make this a franchise. Uh, and that definitely came out here where it was trying to be an, an anti-hero movie. There was another bit where, you know, it felt like, again, a horror movie at times because, you know, vampires. Let's lean into that. And I thought that was smart. Uh, but then sometimes just like a scene wouldn't even really fit. Like you've got, like you said, the the two detectives and just the, all of their detective scenes. It was like somebody had told them this was a detective movie from their perspective. And they I just feel like they were 
you know, actors just really chewing scenery and really eating up a scene when it was it was almost just the point where it was distracting. And I think the multiple release dates and the insert of scenes that weren't there and the taking out of it, you can tell that all the time there were scenes that weren't there and it it sort of bleeds in another thing i i didn't like about it was is there was just all sorts of small inconsistencies and, and again i don't want to go into all of these but just like little things that didn't make sense or didn't bother to get explained and so it just it never it, it, it doesn't like destroy them no individual one makes the movie bad it's just sort of like you it just sort of, you can tell that they just we're like we're trying so hard just to finish a complete movie by the end of it, which I think leans into why it was so hard to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Is it, it, it is bland and it is boring. And I think I told you when I was watching it, uh, my wife Chrissy, uh, when she watches Netflix sometimes on her own, will change everything to Spanish because she's a Spanish major. She works in a hospital in New Mexico, so she, just to kind of keep herself fresh. If it's been a little bit, she'll listen to something in Spanish or read something in Spanish. It's really cool. And she, so she did that to this movie. Well, she did that to the settings and I forgot to change them, but it starts out in like this, you know, random jungle helicopter. These people are walking around and they're talking to him and I'm like, oh, he's talking Spanish because we're supposed to see how smart he is and he knows all these languages and all. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. No, I watched the first five minutes in Spanish and then to go back and change it, find out it was all in English. And I only figured that out because next thing you know, we're in Greece and everyone's still speaking Spanish. And then I change it. We're in Greece and everyone's speaking in an English accent. And I'm like, wait, what? And then Jared Leto whose younger self character had an English accent, I guess, cause he went to New York really early, just talks like Jared Leto. And I'm like, okay. So the, it's like stuff like that, that just, and, and more stuff like that, that I just, I got so taken out of. And I was wondering if I, did I miss something? And then I'd stop and look back. It's like, no, I didn't miss anything. So uh, aside from that, there's, Again, even as a horror film, you know, there's going to be death, there's going to be murder, but I feel like the push for the anti-hero thing meant they tried to excuse all of the murder as as people being murdered because they're, you know, forgive my language, douchebags. You know, like you said, the guys on the, on the, 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 the ship in, you know, in the mercenaries, they seem, you know, we see them playing cards, drinking beer, they have automatic weapons, because again, they're in uncharted waters and pirates, but, you know, the one guy's being a real jerk, and then it's like, now it's okay to slaughter them, and I just, you know, later on, it's, you know, criminals making, they're not, you know, they're making, uh, they're, they're printing fake money, and it's okay to, you know, break his hand, and it's okay to beat these guys up, because, you know, they're criminals, they're bad, they're jerks. Even the villain of the piece, you know, he, he kills one, he kills two characters where there's an impact, you know, and you kind of feel it. And then he kills indiscriminately some guys that were mean to him at a bar. And we just like the audience is supposed to just kind of write that off as no big deal. Cause these guys were jerks. And Morbius is far from the only movie to do this. I'm just getting kind of tired of that. Well, it's okay. They died. They suck. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing that's weird, and this kind of goes with the inconsistency, is they they try they try and paint Morbius Michael as this really nice guy, and I just don't feel like even when he's killing, you know, as you point out, like bad guys that aren't really bad, they're just jerks. He doesn't seem to struggle with it, and I think that really takes away a whole layer that we needed in this movie. We needed him to struggle more with this. 
Like he gets these he powers does. and he gets real excited that he's not disabled anymore, basically. And then he, I mean, he laments a bit that he's going to have to start drinking blood at some point or the red as they call it. Um, <laughs> but he also seems like super excited and there's like a whole, I wonder what else I can do montage where he's learning his sonar abilities and I guess talking to bats. It was a little unclear. Um, yeah. What I it just is, wish he had it's, struggled it's, it's, more. Right. I mean, what it is, is he's being a anti-hero in those scenes. So he's got to be kind of charismatic and likable. Mm-hmm. And because that's kind of the formula. And then in the other scenes, he's the monster because this is a horror film and he's the monster and he's lamenting. And, you know, the nurse that does die, the one in the hall that kind of which was one of the horror scenes I did like. Yeah, that, that was of, a good scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, for a while there, you think that's Morbius is well, you're led to believe it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's this conflict, like there's this inner monster that he can't control because he wakes up later and he has no memory doing it, which, again, wasn't really made clear to me. Uh, but I, you, you figure it out eventually. Yeah, Turns I didn't he doesn't, quite get but, that until the second watch. Yeah, yeah <laughs> funny you say watch. One of my inconsistencies was is he has a timer go off on a watch that wakes him up and then he resets it for six hours, but it starts counting up. And I'm like, so is it going to beep at hour six? Like, that's not normally how stop timers. Anyway, little (laughs) weird stuff like that. Like, what is that? But you know what? To your point, little inconsistencies are are common, even in some of the best movies. What 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 happens in movies like this is because there's so many inconsistencies, it continually takes you out of the fantasy, out of the narrative. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're starting to like buy back in and step into the world, something else happens that you're like, well, that's distracting. Like now, now we're shining a light on the fact that this is a movie and this is a scene and that's a prop. And I'm just not in the movie anymore. Like I was a moment ago. And you're right. This movie has a lot of those little inconsistencies that just keep pulling you back out. So something else I do think um, is worth mentioning, and it's it's a bit because it was inconsistent and a bit that was bad, is there is an effect of Morbius, like a CGI effect, where like whenever he starts to embrace his powers, there's sort of like a sonar kind of wave coming out from him. And then there's this smoke, and it's very swirly smoke. And I felt like it was inconsistent because, and I know you're colorblind, Matt, so I'm just going to come in at this one and say, it. sometimes it looked purple, sometimes it looked red, and it, I thought maybe it was like a, a relation of whether he'd had, you know, re- drunk actual human blood versus the synthetic blood that he created as a scientist earlier on that was introduced, the blue blood. Uh, but then his coat lining at the near the end looked like it changed from purple to red. And I don't know if that was just the lighting choices or the filters. And I honestly, I, by the time I really picked up on it, I was like, I can't because it looked like it changed and then changed back. I was like, I, I'm not going to go through and look at this. I, have, I just had had enough. Yeah, but there's actually was- there's a bit in the in the IMDb trivia about this. And I'll just read it to you. It says Morbius's smoky vampiric trail, which is a hilarious sentence already uh, becomes purple <laughs> towards the end of the film, mirroring the comics uh, director. Daniel Espinosa said that the use of light and color in the film was actually inspired by Pokemon uh, as well as the comic book a- aesthetic Morbius 
often has purple lines trailing him behind trailing behind him in the comic book art contrary to other opinions while the color change during the film's climax is mostly most likely a nod to his origins it's not an indicator that he has quote fully embraced his abilities uh, throughout the movie the color trails were the same color as whatever morbius was wearing at the beginning he was wearing all black so black trails later he's wearing an orange jumpsuit and has orange trails and for the climax he's wearing an all black outfit with a jacket that has a purple silk lining hence the purple trails i swear it changed red at one point but i don't i don't know again it, it was it was one of those things i i like the idea of trying to go with a comic book-esque aesthetic but if mm-hmm. that's the only thing that has the comic book-esque aesthetic and i really feel like that was it it um it you know, doesn't you, work you you bring up something that i forgot to mention in the good i didn't hate and that's where we are right now. We're not talking about things we like. We're talking about things we didn't hate. Um, the scene kind of down in the subway, his like learn to fly scene when he's like feeling the the waves, like the the air currents around him. I just is thought it, that was I like he was riding the sound waves because that's that was the whole thing is like the train in the condensed space. And he was able to kind of like not just echo locate, but like ride on the sound waves. It was very unclear and it came up a lot. I just I, I guess what I'm saying is I liked the visual of it. Um, you know, it's so common in these movies that, you know, a super, a superhero wants to figure out their flight power and they just jump off things a lot and fail until they don't. And I just thought this was a nice different take on the learn to fly trope that happens in so many superhero movies. Mm -hmm. I also felt like this, this flying through the subway was kind of a nod to Spider-Man No Way Home when he was swinging through the subway. It felt very similar and I didn't know if that was deliberate or just an easy effect that they already had on hand. Or, yeah, I, don't, you know, I, I don't know. They definitely were trying really hard uh, to tie this movie in. In fact, J.K. Simmons, who plays J. Jonah Jameson in the original Spider-Man movies and then uh, uh, brought his role back again in Spider-Man No Way Home, actually filmed quite a few scenes for this movie. Uh, but it became apparent that this Morbius didn't exist in the exact same universe, which is its own sort of silly thing. Uh, so all those scenes with J.K. Simmons got cut, which is a real bummer because you and I both like He's literally anything J.K. Simmons is in. Okay, let me finish up my list real here, real yeah. quick here. I've got two things. Uh, so re- we talked about how I like the the transformation of the face. The problem with it is, is that one, it's all CGI, and two, it. It's the way it's utilized is terrible. And then you, you can tell when they're hiding it, too. So there's, you know, like they're talking too much with it. They're not being monstrous with it. You see it too. You see the monster too early, which we just know in a horror movie is the mistake. So it loses its you start staring at it more closely as the movie goes on, which is why I think it became distracting. And then when they hide it, because you could tell like this was just moving their mouths to large monologues must have been like you know awkward to them there's a bit where matt smith as milo like is kind of off at a distance from him and points to him and starts talking and i'm like his arm and hand are literally blocking his mouth right now while he's monologuing and oh man oh that reminds me this again it's kind of a small nitpicky thing but there were a lot of scenes where someone would be talking and it would cut but it they would still be talking but now we're watching kind of like a few moments ahead. They did that like three or four times. I guess it was like an artistic choice to not just have talking heads, but it was weird and it did not work for me at all where there'd just be a conversation. It would cut to the same characters in another space. And that sentence that they were saying is still being said. 
it was just this wild deliberate choice to uh, I, I don't I don't know what they were doing but that was weird yeah and, I don't know that I noticed uh, that to be honest um but that <laughs> that sounds ridiculous uh, I did it, just... it happened when they were children it happened when uh Morbius and, and Martine were were working in the lab and I know there was a third time that at that point I was just I'm so tired of this like I just rolled my eyes and quit paying attention to what was happening uh but yeah I think you know what? I think I'm going to let you take the rest because I'm pretty sure whatever I haven't touched on, you're going to touch on. And, yeah, there's really uh, only like, two I, things. I, I re- Well, maybe three things I really want to talk about. One, you were talking about the, the vampire face. Uh, and I do want to mm-hmm. point out that Jared Leto has said in interviews that they originally were going to go with prosthetic, uh, but decided they want to do CGI because they wanted something like really like pronounced. And they also didn't want... Uh, he did. I say they. I think mostly he didn't want to hinder his own performance with prosthetics on his face. You and I both know we've watched enough Star Trek and other things that actors can give incredible performances with prosthetics on their face. Um, I found the CG to be distracting. I kind of wish they'd gone with maybe a CG prosthetic blend, like maybe a little yes. bit of both. Um, I also th- wish that it had ramped up, like there were that that maybe there was a version of his vampire face and Matt Smith's vampire face that was prosthetic that was a little more like you know the 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 whole like farscape thing like the they're because they're really there on camera they look real even if they don't look real like i wanted some of that with the vampire face and then maybe in the more horror sequences when they you know they're super hungry and you know Matt Smith's character hunger is just like in full monster mode go cgi mm-hmm. so you get that like unhinged jaw that like true terror um right and it's it's dark and they're moving quickly so you don't stare at it for like long monologues of time yeah exactly yeah, feel- um <laughs> we're, we're kind of broaching into or uh, in, in, encroaching on the the fix here so i don't want to spend too much more time on that um i do want to point out that i just didn't love jared leto in this movie um i've i've been struggling to put my finger on what it is but I just didn't find him terribly likable. Um, and that, I don't know, it just really makes it difficult to enjoy the movie when I'm just not enjoying him. I, I kind of would have liked to have seen a different actor in this, and we can talk more about this in the fix, but I, I do think that a big problem, I guess, in this movie is the lead, is Jared Leto, um, not just just not being as engaging and pulling you in as we need them to be for this type of movie. Yeah, I, I can take him or leave him. Uh, honestly, my fix, uh, I feel like is going to address that, but I, I don't want to get ahead of it. Was there anything else uh, yeah, you just found? There's one more thing I want to point way? out just because it's going to come up in the when we talk about the fix. Uh, the two cops that are investigating, uh, the one that's played by... Tyrese Gibson. I can't remember the other actor's name, and I didn't take a note of it because that's just. Uh, who I am. Hold on, I've got. I've got the. <laughs> that's IMDb the level of production we do here. We right. Uh, uh, his name's we, Al Madrigal. He plays Agent Rodriguez. Um, the two of them, I think they're they're fine enough actors. I don't. I just don't like their characters. I thought it was really cliche uh, to have this 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 duo of. Of I don't were they cops were they federal agents I don't even remember uh, but they were yeah. investigating all of this it wasn't clear what they were doing or they why never said aside from the fact that they were, they like, were from 
Yeah, they just felt like thrown in. It was like someone during the scripting phase said like, ah, you need like a couple characters that are, you know, looking into this and following them and tracking them. And they were like, cops, we'll just throw cops at it. Why not? We'll throw cops at it. Um, And Mm. I just, I think that the purpose that they serve in the movie is, 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 uh, is is correct i just don't think the way they went about it is right and uh, i'll talk about that a little bit when we get into the fix um but that's about it for me i mean the other thing that i think absolutely doesn't work in this movie uh is it's very ham-fisted tie-in to the mcu with these scenes uh with michael keaton's character as the vulture sort of shoehorned in and the after credit sequences uh there was content that was shot after the fact specifically to be put in the trailer to sort of bring people in and make them think that this was going to be now officially part of the MCU. Uh, A lot of that content was only in the trailer and did not make it into the movie at all. Um, And it became very clear in the movie that this is some sort of alternate universe timeline. And it is not in fact part of the MCU as they sort of led you to believe Uh, And it's also super inconsistent. You know, the Vulture character shows up at the very, very end. Uh, He's been, uh, spoiler for other Marvel movies, uh, he's been transported, I guess, into this alternate universe by Doctor Strange during the events of No Way Home. Um, That's crazy inconsistent. I can't, I cannot stress the whole point of No Way Home is that villains were being drawn to Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe like the MCU version. And so the fact that one of the villains would just magically appear where, as far as we know, there is no Spider-Man. I mean, I'm sure they were trying to imply there was, but also that Spider-Man wasn't there because of no way home. They were in Tom Holland, Spider-Man's verse. It's just, it's not just ham fisted. It's just, it's nothing. It, it, yeah, it's, it's literally nothing. And it's a, you know, it felt like a really sad money, Hail but. Mary for please be interested in our movie. Um, and it was like no one was talking to anyone, you know, in the in No Way Home, Michael Keaton's character, the vulture are in that that universe, I should say, like his equipment, his like vulture suit, the wings, the jetpack, all that stuff is based on alien technology from when the events of the Avengers happened back in the day, right? And it all got destroyed. So he's now in this universe. He knows who Spider-Man is, even though in the other universe, everyone has forgotten who Spider-Man is, but I guess it didn't affect him. I don't know. And then he he gets out of prison somehow uh, and then finds Morbius with his full vulture like suit and everything that was destroyed. So I guess he remade it, but without Tar... Tory or whatever technology it just it all felt very like we've got to try and tie this into the mcu or people won't go see this movie oh and the dialogue is so first draft or like they just didn't care i, I wouldn't be surprised if he just improv it for fun with very little information like he appears and he looks at himself he's like hmm i guess i'm still me here now but i'm not the me it, it was just so like first draft dialogue filler and then later he's like oh hey, what was his I'm line he's like i hope the I food's better in this universe or whatever it was right <laughs> And then he's like, hey, I find myself here and I think it's because of Spider-Man. I'm not sure, but we should team up. It's like, are you for real? This is like, 
Like, I don't think they wrote this stuff this bad in the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. This? I didn't need any of this. You know, we're, we're both fans of the MCU more than we're not. Um, and we like that universe, but I didn't need for this to be a part of the MCU. I actually was enjoying, you know, the fact that these Venom movies, that this this movie, that they were trying to build this kind of alternate. I mean, it happens in the comic books where you've got one storyline that takes place in one universe or one world or one Earth or whatever. And you have a different storyline with similar or the same characters, but they're in a different universe. I, I was OK with that. We didn't really need to tie these together the way they so forcefully tried to do. Well, we didn't need it, but Sony wanted it because that means more money. So yeah, unfortunately, you're right. At the end of the day, it comes down to money, money. Well, I think with that, I might need a little drink. You want to take a quick break and then we'll uh, regroup and talk about how we want to fix this. All right. Yeah. Let's take a quick pause. All right. All right, we're back, and we're ready to start fixing this thing, give it an overhaul. Uh, but before we do that, we have our new special segment, which is Matt Makes It a Musical. <laughs> oh, man. I, you, you did this to me once. I'm never going to let it go for as long as we keep doing this podcast. Matt, I need to know, you know, just real quick, I don't need the entire um, album titles <laughs> Like last time, but I definitely want to know that if this was Matt makes it a musical, what what kind of musical? What kind of music are we looking at? What are you yeah. like one or just two of your favorite like like the big hits? Like make this a musical, Matt. That's fair. Okay, so to be clear, I didn't put a lot of thought into this one being a musical because I I just didn't put a lot of thought into this movie in general. But now that you mention it, uh, I will say that. I do picture this being very like uh, Sondheim, Sweeney Todd type musical, uh, that nice hmm. like gothic horror. Um, in fact, you know, I think we'll, we're both going to mention this here at the end of the episode, but uh, Marvel also recently did this Werewolf by Night um, kind of one-off special presentation that they're calling it. And it's got these nice like old school horror vibes. Uh, and I just, I really love the idea of, of, of that style of movie, that style of musical um, right off the top of my head. There's a scene right at the very beginning that would make an amazing musical number uh, when Michael first meets Milo and that's not his real name. His real name is actually like Lucian or something like that. Uh, Lawrence, but he, I believe. I think it's Lucian to be honest. Uh, okay. But anyways, he says, he says, oh, Milo. And he's like, no, that's not my name. And he's like, well, the last guy was Milo. The guy before you was Milo. I don't even remember the the first Milo. And the I guess the joke, the mean joke is that I'm not going to bother remembering your real name because you'll either die or leave or something and I'll be on my own again. But like a whole a whole musical number about all the different Milo's would be a, a perfect way to kind of open this. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the last Milo had, you know, whatever. And, and I don't know, I think that'd be a fun musical number. Um, I also think of, I, I was one of the people that actually saw Spider-Man turn off the dark on Broadway. And uh, it was Whoa. a train wreck. It was a train wreck. Uh, but some of the wire stunts in that theater were actually pretty fun. And I was just thinking how how neat it would be to do something like this with these vampires bamfing around the stage. Uh, I mean, yeah, I could totally see this as a musical, but I could also see damn near anything as a musical. Yeah, I know. That's that's why we can rely on you for this segment for the rest of time. 
It's funny. Uh, I I know why you didn't choose it, but I definitely felt like a fan of the opera style would have also been an interesting variant. But uh, just because I know you personally, I know that's not exactly your favorite musical. Yeah, I think maybe aesthetically, there's some I could see some Phantom for this, but musically, I'm always going to pick Sondheim over um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Sorry, Andrew, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And, and you know he probably is listening he's probably one of our two listeners Gosh, what right if now. he's one of the five it. people that listens to this podcast how wild <laughs> well th- we're gonna make all of our matt makes it a musical andrew lloyd weber uh based from then on <laughs> exactly a hundred percent all right tone let's uh let's jump into the real fix here uh i think both of us kind of finish this movie with oh god how are we going to fix it um but through a couple little conversations it sounds like the by our powers combined we might have an idea here on how to how to zhuzh this one up (laughs) definitely okay so uh just to get us started i I, because i didn't feel as lost by the end i think in the middle of it i was lost because i was like what is even this movie how do you fix something when when I can't really see it? Uh, but by the time it was done and I was sort of able to pick out the different types of movie I was watching, uh, I decided I want I want to go full horror movie with this one. Uh, not so much that Morbius has to be a bad monster. He can still sort of become the antihero by the end. But I don't want us to know that and or I want him to be treated like a monster. I don't want to see him clearly right away. Uh, and I've got a few ways to do that. Uh, just just to reinforce, we do want to do kind of a practical effect and CGI mix. That's always better when you can do it. Yes, it takes more time and and all of that. But if, if we're if we're doing the whole week, have infinite time, infinite budget, I definitely want to see that. Uh, I, I would like for it to be more rated R movie so that that kind of gore can get stepped up a bit. It was a little tame, but even as a PG-13, I think we can pull this off. And what I mean by this is we get a bit of flashback in this film uh, and we definitely get Morbius kind of interacting with different characters at different times. And, and they all have their opinion and perspective of him during this change. And I'm like, let's lean into that. And I had this idea, you know, we've got the police officers. They're not my favorite characters, but they do offer this investigative side. And it's like, what if we learn of Morbius' story from his origin as a young child, from going on through the different characters that interact with him during and before and during his transformation? And, and that's sort of... That's sort of what I'm doing. I don't – it's just cliche to use police officers interrogating people, and I feel like that part's going to get stale. Yeah, uh, so I actually – I'm going to jump in because I, I, I want to say a couple things, and then I've got, I think, a fix for your fix here. Um, one, <laughs> I completely agree. I wanted more practical effects. Um, yeah, it's it's harder and more work sometimes. Uh but I I, th- I think it would the movie would benefit from it a lot. Um, I do want to point out that in a lot of the promotional material for this movie, it was billed as Marvel Marvel's first horror movie. Uh, I just don't. I think that was something someone came up with in an ad room after the fact. I don't feel like they were trying to make a horror movie when they made this. I think they were trying to make a more traditional superhero movie. Realized that it had vampires and like blood, and they were like, "Ooh, let's let's tell everyone it's a horror movie." Uh, and it just kind of wasn't there was what was that other in the same Sony uh, universe 
Oh, what was that other movie that was genuinely like a horror movie? It got it's another one that got pushed back a couple times. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? It was about the the kids that all had powers. Uh, there's the was it like New Mutants. Yeah, the New Mutants, which I think was a much better attempt at a Marvel horror movie than this was. Um, I too would have liked for this to have been like a nice rated R legitimate horror movie. I love your your idea of changing the the perspective on this movie. Um, my suggestion, actually, they mention multiple times in this film, the Daily Bugle, which, you know, you and I know, and a lot of people know as the like newspaper or news of choice uh, in the Spider-Verse, right? In the Spider-Man verse, right. you know, yeah. J. Jonah Jameson it's, it's, is the like editor for that, uh, who we mentioned earlier, the J.K. Simmons role. Um, we mm-hmm. also know that there's multiple other characters from that Spider-Man universe that have worked for the Daily Bugle. I think there would have been a really interesting uh, perspective here to have a writer from the Daily Bugle or maybe like an independent writer um, a la uh, Susan from like the Dresden Files that like reports on more like uh, weird occurrences because they, they make it clear mm-hmm. that the events of Venom are canon in this world. They, they mentioned the San Francisco incident early in the movie. Uh, and I just think right. it would have been neat to have a reporter from the Daily Bugle or someone who's sort of been hired by the Daily Bugle who's looking into these reports of like vampirism and things like that. And, you know, as you pointed out, like they, they have interviews with Michael or they have interviews with uh, Jared Leto's character, or not Jared Leto, uh, Jared Harris's character, Dr. Nicholas. Uh, and you find out about his childhood that way. You have an interview with Matt Smith's character, Milo. You have interviews with these characters, uh, and it almost has a little bit more of a like Silence of the Lambs vibe, where they're inv- there's someone investigating something, and then they don't realize how close they are to the actual thing. You know, there's like a moment of dawning where they realize that they're interviewing the actual vampire that they're investigating. Um, it just would create the tension and the terror that you need for like a true horror movie. Uh, and you can still kind of have the, the, the Marvel superhero things, but we change the perspective to an investigative reporter of some kind. Maybe they're, maybe they're making a podcast like, a like only murders in the building, or maybe they're, you know, like I said, a, a blogger or working for daily bugle. But I think that's, I think I like that's the daily bugle. I like that angle because, you know, but again, like a reporter working for spec, you know, kind of like a, like they get paid based on what they bring in. This isn't unheard of. Like they have to find the story and kind of go after it, but they bring it to the bugle and it buys it. And they've been published a couple of times, but not a lot. They can even throw in a reference to like, like an inspiration they have was Eddie Brock, you know, who mm-hmm. was a reporter yep. in the Venom thing. So it's like. You know, and that and that they definitely are looking for the estranged and weird, which is why they're not taken very seriously. But here's the thing. What if uh, let me just build on this because I, I really feel like we're setting this up. What if the story goes and we're following Morbius and there is sort of like already public opinion about him that he's just a murderer. There, they, they, the public, the mass public has not really gripped the supernatural element. They are just seeing him as a murderer, someone, a crazy dot gone, gone nutsoid. Uh, and you start to explore, uh, you know, the elements of these people with, with this kind of fringe reporter who is willing to listen to the story. So people are more likely to talk to them because they're willing to hear the strange parts of things. And and that's kind of why, you know, 
Jared Harris's character will talk to them to like because he'll be able to say no this is what he was as a boy he saved his friend and, and you know you know did all of these things and Martine will talk to him because she was there for the experiment and they're not listening about it and they're they're like they're the police are ignoring them and Milo would seemingly want to you know who ca- always cares about his friend Morbius would want to like talk him up and be like no he's not a killer and and again he's the villain kind of manipulating the story with this reporter and you know using his influence to get this reporter even more because they're willing to listen they're willing to kind of you know give an ear to like a new story he he sees this as an opportunity to shake the story which because he's the villain that's valuable and and can maybe like turn get them like access to say like our two detectives i like that one detective who is kind of like taking the vampire thing to the extreme maybe they catch him in a moment in a bar where he's intoxicated and he's ready to like go full on about the story and and then some of the murders and the things we we see happen around the reporters they're trying to track down jared leto the 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 jerks at the bar the which was technically milo but also you know then find the this, I guess it was a gang, just the three criminals printing money that, you know, get beat up but don't get killed. And there's an inconsistency here. So now they're closing in on the, you know, the wait, maybe it's not just maybe there is something supernatural, but it's not just Morbius. And, you know, and they'll we'll drop more than this on the way. But, but oh, then, you know, you know, as they put it together, Milo sees them as the threat. You know, the other thing I would love to see in this scenario is there's a bit where Milo goes to visit Morbius in jail after he gets arrested. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he hobbles in on his cane and he tells uh, Michael, he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to do everything I can. And as he gets up to leave, he drops a black, a bag of, of blood. To, like, he's like, this is to get you by until we can get you out of here or whatever. Um, and as Milo leaves, he stops limping. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's very like Kaiser Soze from uh, usual, usual suspects. Um, right. And it's revealed that, you know, he did take the the cure or whatever, and that he, you know, he himself is probably vamp- vampiric now. It would be so much more interesting to, I mean, now that I say it, it's very usual suspects, but to play on that with the audience's expectations and have, have, uh, have Milo be pulling one over on the audience the whole time that we don't realize right. that there's two killers out there, Michael and Milo. We think all of it is just, is just Michael blacking out and not trusting himself. And he's struggling that like, Oh God, I've done these horrible things that you find out in the third act. He didn't do. It's actually his friend that did it. Well, and and if you remember Milo's whole motivation is not to get rid of Morbius, but to get him to embrace their new transformation. Exactly. It's it's more like lost boys at this point. He's like, let's be, Let's be badass vampires. <laughs> but but on the, so so to that effect, what if he sends his, you know, newly kind of invested, you know, befriended investigator to go to the prison and see Morbius to drop off the blood? But somewhere in that time frame, like the 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 investigator who now gets to talk to Morbius and now all of a sudden they seem different than all of these stories and it just doesn't match up that they would be the killer, is also told to hand him this blood. Like they're they've they've kind of like written themselves into the story as yeah. they were investigating and and that's how like morbius will be able to figure out that it's actually been milo because milo is supplying them now and then it breaks out and again we don't know it yet not till the end not till 
the investigator puts it together and now they're a threat to, you know, for Milo's story because he doesn't want to get outed. And so instead goes after the investigator. But now Morbius shows up to save the day, thereby vindicating themselves because, I mean, it's a little bit hoaxy. But if yeah. the hero shows up to stop our person to get killed, then they're not the ones just doing the blatant murders. And that's actually Milo. We still got our fight. Uh, hopefully a little less swishy. It has the same problem as the Venom movies where, like, you have two symbiotes fighting and it's just a mess. Yeah, you know, visually. For sure. we, we we fix that with our practical effects. We still get effectively, like, the same story. You know, again, the murders are still happening. We lose the people that, you know, we lose that have impact. We lose the people that we lose that don't have impact. It all makes sense. And, and they all kind of lead to pointing to, you know the two kind of killers it's it's like hey morbius is seemingly not killing sometimes and then killing other times that doesn't make sense that doesn't track you know mm -hmm. just you, you it, it's almost wrote there i mean nothing i'm saying is original but it definitely comes together more we yeah, have these horror moments that we can do and and morbius at the end comes out the anti-hero which is what we always wanted that the yeah. investigator sort of vindicates at the end yeah, we're definitely trading some tropes for some other tropes. And uh, I don't I mean, we've talked about this. Tropes aren't a bad thing. It's just sort of how you use them. Um, and maybe it's, it's because consistent. I just I just recently rewatched Silence of the Lambs. And I'm just I'm more and more really into the idea of that vibe, that tone, that voice for this story. It would have been so interesting to have, you know, an investigator that's a very Clarice Starling type. Um that's looking into this and like, you know, I just love the idea, but not bound by the rules of authority. So they don't have to worry about answering to some sort of authoritative power. Mm -hmm. They're, they're more, you know, they, at first it's kind of selfish. They're looking to be the next Eddie Brock. They want to find the next fringe thing in there in New York, not San Francisco. So they feel like, you know, fresh waters. Sure. But, you know, slowly over that, like they, they don't know how not to get involved, not, not, not to get invested, you know, the kind of classic early reporter trope, but it, it works and it's really cool. Like, or at least more interesting. Yeah, it would for make sure. Me want to see and Morbius I'll be honest again with, with, with this fix, with what we're talking about, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would need to recast Jared Leto. Um, what we're describing, but, I kind of think he would do fine in. Because he's supposed to be seemingly kind of either unlikable or even villainous or monstrous. And mm -hmm. if, if you get if you get him in like memories and those memories paint him in different versions. So honestly, it gives the actor a chance to kind of play different ranges of the same character because he's being remembered by mm -hmm. people so that when you see him in person, he's sort of a more middle ground muted version of that, which yeah. is, is interesting. It's. I mean, I think as an actor, that would be more appealing, I would imagine. But I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's funny that we, we even mentioned this because uh, Jared Leto did say in interviews that uh, because Michael Morbius, the character, was so much closer to his own personality uh, than other roles that he's played. He he say, he states that he didn't have to do his usual um you know, extreme method acting, which I still think is funny with all the reports of him limping around set and using a wheelchair and all that. But um, I just found it very funny that he talks about this character being so close to his own personality. And I was like, wow, I mean, maybe he's just a really, <laughs> maybe he's just kind of a dull person. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Isn't that why you become an actor is to be the things that you, you opposite of what you feel you are. I don't, I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm, I'm saying like, that's usually, no, no, I follow what you're saying. People, 
feel they're unpopular, so they become an actor. To, I don't know. They, uh, let me get off this topic. I'm, I'm driving off the cliff <laughs> I was going to say, but, this uh, feels very pointed, sir. You're going to piss off two I'm, of our five I'm jumping out of his car as it goes over. Ah, <laughs> tuck and roll. Um, okay. But, well, but, I, yeah, I, I really mean, like this. I like the idea. And, we, you know, we've touched on this with other episodes of this show. Uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. But we've talked before about sometimes all you need to, you know, quote unquote, fix a movie is to shift the perspective. In this instance, I think that they were trying, they were trying so hard to make a, a, a formulaic, basically superhero film that they didn't realize that they needed to tell this from a different perspective. This needed to be told from another character's perspective. Uh, I like the idea of using this investigative reporter. It also gives us a chance to get away from the, the, the buddy cop trope that honestly is just kind of tired. Yeah. I like this a lot. I think this makes for a better movie. And so my pitch to the studio would be like the reason this is valuable is if the if the end goal is to reach franchise, you haven't given away all of the Morbius meal in this movie because you'll see him, but you won't and you'll see plenty of them, but you you won't know how much of it again was accurate or just people's impression of him so that the next time you make some sort of ridiculous not sinister six movie that you have no plan for at least then the morbius we see then you can get more creative with and maybe just people saying oh we finally get to learn more about what he's really like could be a draw you know like that's that's my studio pitch too yeah (laughs) and it's funny because uh something else jared leto said in interviews is that this was this movie was meant to be just like the first taste of the morbius character and he's got all these plans to come back for more and i I, i'm with you i think we needed maybe less of a taste like more of an Mm -hmm. amuse bouche if you will and to to make you (laughs) pun intended hungry for more yeah and it's it, he seems like a safe bet because even with like when he was doing the Joker, he seemed really intrigued with the idea of doing this further. It just didn't land. It's it's funny. This this should have gone in reverse. Where in Suicide Kings, they they acknowledge that the Joker should have been the main villain focus, and we should have seen more of him. We're saying see less of him in this one. I mean, not that little. That was ridiculous. But but definitely like yeah, kind of tease it in and. Maybe if we're going to have to do tie-ins, like play it safe and bring in Eddie Brock for for the end credits kind of intro. Maybe he meets our, our reporter character and wants to talk to them more about getting in touch with this Morbius. And that's the tease, you know? Yeah. Drop oh, that all of decent. that. Yeah. Drop <laughs> all of that nonsense with the vulture. Just drop it. I, yeah, if, if you're going to play gonna with that, the Venomverse, like play in the Venomverse. Yeah. Or if you're going to do that, do set it up in the, whatever movie you're going to do it in. Don't try and tack it on at the end. That's terrible. Well, I think I, yeah. I feel much better about this fix than I had uh, anticipated. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel? You feel good about this? I mean, I think it's solid. We didn't we didn't write anything new. But again, this wasn't new. The goal was is like, let's. Let's find out what this movie is. And and I think we even still left on the additions for add-ons, which is, you know, kind of important to us retaining the structure and intent of these these kind of films. Yeah, uh, and you could it, even I think keep it helps that like the Tyrese uh Gibson character, maybe they're they're a, mm-hmm. a hurdle that the the investigative reporter comes up against a couple times where they're trying oh, to get yeah. information. Yeah, I, I'd have specified like there's some sort of special agency and every time they come across, what am I seeing you here again for? You know, that that old bit. I mm-hmm. love that. That's great. 
Yeah. And, and this, because uh, it's a horror film, we want tropes. We want to see these bits. Like yep. it's, it's, it's it's not a it's it's not a fancy meal. It's a yummy meal, but it's got to have all the parts. You can't like half bake it in the microwave and serve it up. So yeah, I can't I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think think this movie was lacking like one or two more characters. Um, you know, so many of these movies we talk about, we want to trim it down, trim the fat, and I think this maybe needed one or two more characters to really get the story out correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel good about this, man. I'm excited to figure out what movie we're going to fix next, man. Do you, is there any that you've got in mind? You don't have to say it, but do you have any in mind? I don't have a specific one in mind. I definitely am feeling, I know we've only done two of these at time of recording, that I kind of want to verge off a little and do one of our kind of broader themed ones uh, just because, man, these things are exhausting, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. You know, I. it's funny. The last two episodes we've done, we've done this one for Morbius, and then previous to this, we did uh, um, Uncharted. Uncharted. And I got to (laughs) say, watching Morbius made me appreciate Uncharted more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I don't know. See, I'm Uh, torn. I I think I preferred Morbius over Uncharted, personally, if I had to... If I had to do it, I think because I could just like zone out on Morbius versus Uncharted, I'm a little too invested in that world. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, Tone, I think uh, I'm really happy with our fix. I can't believe we landed on one. I thought for sure this was going to be the one that finally stumped us. But once again, really pleased with our fix. Uh, Really excited about some of these recommendations. And uh, I'm just really excited that we're making episodes again. I can't wait to do the next one. Oh, yeah. I love this. And specifically, I love doing this with you. And don't worry about finding that fix. Matt, I am the king of BSers. I will tear down that film and and build it back up and paint it with a coat of lacquer and tell you it's beautiful every time. I I look forward to it. And uh, in the words of uh, Michael Morbius, leave the science stuff in that bag of spicy Cheetos. (laughs) Bye.